How many Fs are in that in Welsh? <laughs> it's pronounced... I couldn't call my house Paradise and have people like send my tax bill or my, my gas bill to Paradise. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard From the leopard. outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Steadman, and I come in praise of Almighty Bob. I'm Danny Smith, and I can tell you where some good bars are, I guess. I'm John Hickman. What's the point of showing me something I can't see? We're now officially halfway through the alphabet, so let's move from M to N and the big apple. In So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Ford Prefect has a dream in which he meets a creature formed out of the pollutants of New York's East River. I instinctively feel, says the creature, that I need to be beautiful. Am I? Danny. I don't know if you remember this whole section because um, it's pretty throwaway, but what do you think Adams was driving at? Okay, so uh, from reading the text, do you notice that um, before that, the uh, slime creature says, I feel a need for love and happiness? Um, is that something that I can get or, or something like that? Like it, it says that. And then it asks, I feel the need to be beautiful. Now, I think it's really interesting how those are both separate things. Oh. Like, for love and acceptance um, or love and happiness, you don't need to be beautiful. Those are two separate drives that he has. Yes, they do feel like separate thoughts. Um, which is really nice. I like the fact that the, the fact that you can not feel beautiful but still find love and happiness. What I also wanted to talk about in, in this particular, if we're going to read into the text, is have you guys ever noticed both Zaphod and Ford's, um, and I've got to assume it's Beetlejuicean, attitude towards other people? They tend not to show empathy, like, instinctively. Mm. They tend to treat other people's emotions as if they're their business. That's cool. That's quite Scandinavian, actually. It's and and like whenever Arthur's having a breakdown, he, he he's not even calm down. Earthman, he's kind of like, okay, you have your nervous breakdown here. I'll carry on doing my thing thing here. Now, when Zaphod does it, it comes across very selfish. But when Ford does it, it's actually quite odd. And I don't know if it's it's linked up with this um, cool culture that Beetlejuice obviously have, where they try, try and outcall each other. Mm. But um, I wouldn't say that Zaphod has no empathy, because he gives him a really good answer. He gives him a really good answer. So he says to him something like, um, other people like you down there, because like most people get along, you've got to find someone. Mm. And which, that's a really sensitive, cromulent, interesting answer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't belie somebody that is completely lacking in empathy. So maybe there is a Beetlejuicean kind of tendency to uh, to, to act like a, peop- a people's emotion or their own business, and you engage with them at that level. Something quite um, innocent and childlike a way about the way that Beetlejuiceans deal deal with this Beetlejuiceans deal with this sort of stuff. I think, um, and. Actually, there's a really nice bit in this in this whole scene where when Ford runs out of ideas, he goes, I don't know, ask a policeman, <laughs> which is kind of what a five-year-old would say. <laughs> you know, it's just that kind of like, what's default authority? What is what is the vanilla of, of a grown-up? It's a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also that, that, that kind of, I'm done with this, but 
doesn't mean you don't have to be like it like I, I think something that it feels like adams comes back to a lot in this whole series is kind of that wide-eyed i'm new to the world kind of perspective because this is the third character that we're talking about that has that kind of uh, perspective because we talked about the whale uh, briefly when we were talking about the man in the shack and he's another one um that has sort of almost no outside stimulus uh, with which to make a shape of the world and it feels like this is something and and uh, oddly enough i think we we might touch on that a little bit when we get on to um one of the later topics as well uh in in today's in today's episode um that it feels like adams has a, a penchant for um characters that have no context that are birthed without any you know just just materialize in a form uh, in a in a fully formed world where they are physically fully formed but they have no context and the grebulons again like it's it feels like something he comes back to a lot um i think maybe there's also kind of like when you um it's a little bit like the total perspective vortex it's like when you take into account how big the universe is and how many creatures are in it at any one time suffering laughing doing all the different things like isn't it isn't it difficult to have to narrow in and have like emotions about one specific thing like isn't it isn't it a very sentient orientated um defense mechanism to kind of protect yourself and not let the whole universe a, a amount of troubles kind of affect your thinking. Yeah. And while we're doing close readings, I'm also thinking, I wonder if, because I'm, I'm now thinking about the, uh, the mattresses of Squawn, Shellis, Zeta, and now starting to think so many of his characters have a, a great degree of innocence, but so much of his writing has, a lot of cynicism in it. I wonder if there's an interesting interplay between the two where he's, he's kind of fighting um, a duality in, in his own psyche, which might be the smartest sounding thing I've ever said. Um, but whether that's a thing that actually makes sense, I don't know. John, why don't you talk for a bit? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that's, I think that's a really, really nice point that there, that is, I've never noticed it before, but um, that totally makes sense. So, so your head cannon, your head cannon is well and truly accepted. It does, it does add a lightness to the, the cynicism of, of the other people around them. So, it's it's good for giving you something to um, to, to push against the other characters uh, in, in in some ways. Uh, almost to the point of being annoyed when people are that innocent. <laughs> um, uh, is that 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 can that can drive a little bit of tension in a scene and push a scene forward as well, which is which is helpful. Yeah, and I think innocence is synonymous in in some ways with hope because the, you know if you are if you're innocent if you are kind of new to the world you haven't been ground down by its mores and you um, you know you, you haven't been beaten down and you feel like anything is achievable everything is potential and in a, a universe or a galaxy that starts off with the destruction of someone's home planet and then you know the the imminent destruction of the entire universe and a lot of a lot of people being very sad and made miserable um that there is it's it's lovely that there is this this other side that says well hope is also a thing 
<laughs> um, it's also something you can have. Maybe somebody wants toast. Maybe someone wants toast. Um, we'll leave that for our for our um, Red Dwarf podcast. Oh, we're not doing that A to Z as well, are we? Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Well, now what? The planet of Now What was named <laughs> after the opening words of the first settlers to arrive there after struggling across light years of space to reach the furthest unexplored outreaches of the galaxy. The main town was called, oh well, there weren't any other towns to speak of. Settlement on Now What had not been a success and the sort of people who actually wanted to live on Now What were not the sort of people who you would want to spend time with. Arthur finds now what after a year travelling in the uh, spatial coordinates of the Earth, but ends up uh, here, which is another planet along the probability axis. John, we haven't... That was a lot of speaking. John, we haven't brought up a certain <laughs> sci-fi fantasy book series in a while. Pay attention. So, does this remind you of anything? Yes, 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 it does. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it, it was on the tip of my tongue as you were as you were reading it. Um, Read, reading? It, it, I'm speaking extemporaneously. This is all off the top of my head, John. <laughs> Making face noises. Uh, <laughs> I'm very good at just saying things out loud in fully formed sentences that sound like they're written. As you were going through this, as you were going through this, I, 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 mm-hmm. I had this in my head and um, it's kind of similar, but it's, it's, it's actually not quite the same thing if you think about it. But I think what you're alluding to is um, from the Discworld. Yes. And uh, this is this is from, from the Rincewind books. Uh, when they're off on their adventures exploring the, the expanses of the, of the disc world and, uh, they, they come across a mountain which is called Your Finger, You Fool. No, not a mountain, a town that's called Your Finger, You Finger, You Fool. And it's called that because, um, somebody was pointing, uh, and asked a local, presumably in, in a, in a kind of a loud voice, what's that called? And they said, it's Your Finger, You Fool. And your finger, your fool, is near a mountain that is called. Who is this fool? He doesn't know what a mountain is. <laughs> and you're, you're like, you're absolutely right. They're, they're not, they're not the same. But um, I, I thought it was, it was a, it was a fun parallel to draw. Partly because we haven't talked about Rincewind in a while. So I, I, that that particular thing in Discord that kind of taps into this idea that we've got that that has actually happened. And I don't know if it's an apocryphal story or, or not. I don't know if it, if any of us would uh, claim to speak as the. Uh, as, as the uh, the um, historian of of empires, because uh, John Bounds isn't here really, but um, the, you you do hear you do hear these stories that this actually happened maybe when um, Westerners got to yes the, something the Australasian like I'll, I'll get it wrong, but it's something like the kangaroo um, was in 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 the the native tongue uh the the average uh, aboriginal tongue was i don't know what you mean or i don't know what that is um and that that was the aboriginal word uh kangaroo or something like that and and how true that is obviously um it's it's almost certainly not true but one imagines to a degree that because we <sighs> So we hear stories about this in 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 the modern world, and and I think they are true uh, of um, signs and things like that that get put up that that are one thing translated into another thing, and the thing that is translated is the out of office reply. Uh, so I think that was done with a with a Welsh sign, um, <laughs> and they wanted something translated from English into Welsh, and 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 what it ended up with is, "Hi, I'm sorry, I'm not at my email at the moment. I'll be back next week." <laughs> How many F's are in that in Welsh? <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced. Um, 
there's 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 an absolutely wonderful play about that, which is uh, translations by Brian Friel, and it's actually on at the National Theatre scene. It doesn't get kind of um, shown at that sort of um, that sort of on that sort of stage very often. Um, it's it's about the uh, British Ordnance Survey going to going to Ireland and mapping it, and um, speaking to the locals about what places are called and the the locals kind of uncovering the the folk legends um and myths that are kind of encoded into the place names that they've got and then the british go yeah it sounds a bit like uh, this word that i've got so i'm going to use that and just kind of totally try- robbing them of all the meaning of it um, <laughs> it is it's it's a it's a fantastic uh, piece piece of writing it's a it's an a, a interesting kind of exploration of a bit of social history and it's it's well executed on the stage i actually studied it for my a levels and i performed in it once on on the stage which i think we've touched touched on before this is the play i did when i ended up drinking pachin at the end oh wow back in uh, i think um Possibly episode one. Possibly it was episode one. Yeah, it's when we talked about alcohol. That's wonderful. Yeah, uh, but the the the, the towns uh, that we were talking about and the and the planets, in fact, we're talking about now. What and the town of Oh Well, I think what this is is a, is a riff on, and in, in as much as other, other humorists we've just talked about with Pratchett have kind of done similar riffs, Douglas's one is particularly linked to something which um, you don't see so much. Uh, these days, but it is a thing, which is people giving their houses names. Oh, like Dunroman and stuff like Dunroman. that. Dunroman. Yeah. Now what is Dunroman, but with a planet? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's that, that sort of kind of um, making up a word about your condition as a kind of a traveler and a settler and then applying it, applying it to the place. Only with these guys, it's disappointment. <laughs> Can you call your house anything? I don't know what the rules are. So in Guernsey, every house has a name and we don't have any numbers on the houses, but we are a bit what of an oddity like that yeah no, that's the thing really yeah 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 you don't you don't have like number four or number two so it's not like the postman having to uh having to remember which side of the road where did you live because that had to be like fairly unique right well i can't tell you that for my upsec so <laughs> <laughs> so for example right in the victorian times um they had to start naming places properly so a lot of really sweary um sweary places got Victorian names that they deemed unsweary. Right. And so they had to figure out what were swears and what were not. And that how we, that's how, literally how we get our list of um, swears. Because um, originally the post office had to make a list of going, okay, you can't call it that. So they, they canonised like it was like Magna Carta for swears? A little bit, yeah. So they had to go through and go, and like, and some obviously slip, slip through. So there's a place in um, Birmingham that uh, a mate of mine used to live on called Twatling Road. <laughs> Try and get a taxi from Twatling Road. Like, seriously, it's, it's, it's very difficult. They, they, all pr- they all pronounce it Twatling. Which is even fucking more hilarious because they're all kind of like, oh, I don't know what you mean, twat. I was like, that's a name, motherfucker. Um, uh, and, you know, there's still the odd grope alley, like, kicking around because there was obviously no one living on it. So nobody had to send mail there. So it didn't get changed. Um, but that's how we get the list of swears. So with that in mind, if the post office or the Victorians running the post office or the Edwardians or wherever this happened, um, still run the post office. Can we, or like, we can't call, uh, like, I couldn't call my house Cuss Paradise and have people, like, send my tax bill or my, my gas bill to Cuss Paradise. Could I? Uh, I don't know. 
In, well, in Guernsey or in England? Or <laughs> no, where, in, where do you want to do this, Dan? Anywhere, anywhere. Like, I mean, I imagine it's all automated as, as well now. So I imagine they'd send it, but with the post office looking and go, it's paradise. Yeah, that's Danny's house. Like, let's... Um, let's. In, in America, I think the rules might be... I don't know if they're, if they're, if they're looser, um, but I, I recently was made aware of a legitimate street, uh, which is called A Dog Will Lick Its Butt But Won't Eat a Pickle road yeah what uh a dog will lick his butt but won't eat a pickle road uh is a road that exists uh because the council told this guy that owned this stretch of land that he had to give it a name and he submitted the name and there is a photo of uh, the road sign a dog will lick his butt but won't eat a pickle road i bet that joke was funny for a few minutes for him wasn't it and then actually having to deal with that uh, now, uh, who's got a quid for the vending machine? The Nutramatic Drinks Dispenser is serious cybernetics machine that delivers a cup of liquid that is almost, but not entirely, unlike tea. It does this by analysing the user's taste buds and brain bits uh, to see what they might find um, nutritional and enjoyable, but no one knows why, because it invariably spits out the same liquid. We'll talk about serious cybernetics more generally in a later episode, but, and I know this is a Bit of a route one question. Danny, would you use one of these? Okay, theoretically, would it serve anything alcoholic? Like, would it scan, <laughs> would it scan my brain and serve me something that isn't, but almost entirely lo- unlike lager? I'd like to think that, it's uh, kind of sad, I'd like to think that if it was any good, but the, the problem is it isn't. So I think what we have to go on is the spec, and so at, or, or at least the thing that they would have that serious cybernetics would have um, touted on stage in their equivalent of the Google I.O. or WWDC keynote. So when they were up there doing their developer conference, they would have touted the amazing abilities of, of this new machine. And I imagine in that best case scenario, if you'd had a really shitty day at work and your girlfriend had just left you and your dog died, um, then it might analyze what you needed and say, what you need right now is a whiskey. And uh, you also are someone who doesn't really like the taste of whiskey. So we'll put some Coke in it for you. And there you go. Um, and, and I think in the brochure, that's probably what it does. In reality, it will just give you a cup of liquid that tastes a bit like tea. Okay, so going on experience, I've been in a lot of bars where they serve all sorts of wacky shit, and I've drank a lot of stuff that is uh, that isn't, but almost entirely unlike lager. So I don't have to drink an ale <laughs> because fuck ales. But okay, so but if we take into account that this drink would almost invariably serve something that's disgusting um, and hot and warm and it tastes a very small amount like uh, like tea, I would still use it, especially in an office situation because fuck people that go for smoke breaks, fuck their five breaks a day, fuck the fact that they're 15 minutes long <laughs> every single fucking time. Um, and I don't smoke, so therefore I'm going to stand by that, uh, that, that drinks machine and I'm going to fucking not work for 15 minutes while that machine is pouring out my drink and while I pretend to drink that filth because fuck people that smoke <laughs> right are we are we worried about it reading our reading our brain here I'm just I've got my my sort of Cambridge Analytica hat on for a second 
Um, is it is it very successful at reading my brain and then selling me um, something that I've already bought from somewhere else, but not very good at making tea? <laughs> You've just had a rather refreshing cup of tea. Would you like a rather refreshing cup of tea? People who also had cups of tea liked cups of tea. Weirdly, though, those those statements are all true. If I have a really good cup of tea, I immediately want another cup of tea. Oh, my God, really, I get really, that. Really good. Absolutely. You finish a good cup of tea, you're like, do you know what? If somebody handed me I could that just exact go for same a good cup, cup of tea, tea right, right now, I would fucking bite the hand off. I would be so down. Yeah, I've actually got a tumbler that is... A picture of an empty mug every time I've had a perfect cup of tea that makes me want to have another cup of tea. And it's called something like greatbrew.tumblr.com or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've rated the tea and talked about the mug. It's, it's, I can't remember the address. I'm going to have to find it. <laughs> Before we carry on with the next topic, I believe, Danny, one or two people um, shared some feedback on your thoughts about uh, matter transference. Yeah, okay. Obviously, that everyone that got back to me said that I was completely right and they trusted me in every single way <laughs> and the opinion. Sure, but, um, sure. They all pointed me to towards a video that is in the show notes um and now if you like me haven't got a lot of time to look at um canadian um animation that is <laughs> that has um bad canadian bad, bad theme tunes um then what you can take away from it is that i was absolutely correct in my thinking if not um in actuality, but very morally, no. Um, <laughs> the video does actually succinct, uh, succinctly say what I was trying to say. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of it, it brings up a really interesting question. So, mm. with the matter transference, um, I, I don't know if you listened to last week's podcast, uh, John. I think it was the week. It was the week before, but yes, was it okay? So, with matter transference, um, you uh, create a copy and then you kill the original. Um, or some version of that. So the copy at the end of this, uh, the video, uh, not to spoil the, the 10 minute Canadian animation, um, <laughs> she walks around, uh, she walks away and she sings a song about, um, not feeling any guilt for the things that she did before because she's a complete copy. So she didn't actually do them. Oh, wow. And uh, and even more interestingly, that she carries no debt because the being that actually owed all the money <laughs> is now dead and she's now an exact copy and so she's debt free. Oh, the banks will figure out a way around that. Which is, isn't that wonderfully interesting? Like, it didn't even occur to me. It is. So the being that carries on with no real break in its consciousness, apart from a small blip potentially is now guilt-free and debt-free. Um, so I, like, I, I find that really interesting. And thank you for that. There was, uh, there were several people that, that sent that in. Um, that was really useful, especially to, um, to Russell Parker for, uh, uh, I think possibly being one of the first to to send that through. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty deep. That is, isn't it? It's it's nice, isn't it? Like it's it's a nice little. I really find the moral uh, the moral question like really interesting. Like, wouldn't that be good to just have all your sins absolved by technology? What we also know about this is that that um, laws and legislation would take a while to catch up with the technology. 
So you would be able to exploit that loophole for quite a long period of time before anyone actually catches up with you. And, and essentially we'd have a, have a GDPR of cloning kind of event, some sort of big, big, <laughs> um, uh, infinity war, um, Star Wars premiere style, um, piece of legislation that would just come out and just kind of, uh, kind of eat everything up. But prior to that, there would be a, there'd be a long time where you could probably get away with it. And now a quick bit of music. If I could only grow an extra mouth. The octavental hebephone is a musical instrument that needs more than one mouth to play. John, what's it sound like? It sounds like a three nozzled bluzer. Um, which obviously, as you, as you know, is normally found being played alongside uh, a one-nuzzled noozer. Sure, sure. Uh, you want to get a nolster on the noozer and a bolster on the boozer. That's, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. The, those those are all instruments from uh, from Doctor Zeus's book. If I ran the circus, ah. and that that is what this reminds me of. Those kind of um, made up. Um, little tricks of, of, oh, I've got to write a book with only five letters and all that stuff that Dr. Juice was into. If you've never read, um, if you've never read If I Ran the Circus, it's amazing. Um, and there are a number of made up musical instruments in there, but the, um, the three nozzled bluzer is, uh, is I think the nearest in sound to this. And, uh, it's, um, it, it's kind of slightly got a bit more treble. Yeah. I, I kind of figured it would be, um, it sounds to me an octaventral, uh, octaventral, Mm-hmm. Hebe phone, for whatever reason, sounds quite bagpipey to me. Mm. And I could imagine it having a sort of <laughs> kind of tone, just like a drone. But yeah, there's something in there, and 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 it would it would have more than obviously a, a bagpipe has two notes. It has the drone, and then it has the note, and both of them are intolerable. Um, but I imagine the octaventral Hebe phone is similar, and so it has a and then maybe a. Um, and all the way up to uh, to eight, of course. Yeah. Can, can we not say that? Um, just just take take the microcosm into the macrocosm. That like nearly all uh, quote marks world music, it would be shit <laughs> uh, until Paul Simon did it, and then uh, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> Are we assuming that, that this needs eight mouths to play? One would assume, but I mean, it's octraventral. Mm. Which has a couple of extra R's in there that maybe co- uh, complicate things, but that would be my assumption that it <laughs> that it needs. But ventral eight. would be something to do with a back, would it? Uh, well, a ventriloquist is someone what speaks through something I mean, it's, else. So uh, yeah, it's a doctor's use made up word, isn't it? That's well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we can do close readings up to a point, <laughs> but at, at a certain point, you get so close that you can't actually distinguish the letters. No, I was just wondering <laughs> if you, if you needed two mouths, then uh, maybe maybe Zayford could. Uh, could, could get involved. Yeah, he should have. Uh, he should have had a word for it because I think it was Ford who uh, tried to learn how to play this. He probably um, Zayfield probably would have played it. Ends up playing it on a disaster area record at some point. And now, let's go nuts. In one corner of the Eastern Galactic Arm lies the large forest planet of Oglarune, the entire intelligent population of which lives permanently in one fairly small and crowded nut tree in which tree they are born, live, fall in love, carve tiny speculative articles in the bark on the meaning of life, the futility of death and the importance of birth control, fight a few extremely minor wars and eventually die strapped to the underside of some of the less accessible outer branches. This always sounded like quite a nice life, if a bit crowded. 
Danny, you, broadly speaking, like people. Um, does this make you feel cosy like me, or is it a bit of a crowded house? I'm fucking, uh, like, I'm really curious. Like, what makes you think that I like people? I like crowds. I don't like people. I like, I like input. I don't like actually interacting or, or being part of other people's lives. Jesus God, no. You like persons, yeah, not people. Yeah. Um, there's a, is there not a, uh, God, I'm referencing Kevin Smith. It's not a clerk's quote where they're talking about, um, how the, the, the girl's funeral is going to be the social event of the season. And they're, they're, they're trying to find <laughs> that yes. he's trying to, they're trying to get each other to cover the shift. And he's like, you hate people. And he's like, well, but I love gatherings. Isn't it ironic? um and i think never be ashamed to reference kevin smith and i yeah i think it's like that um but no wouldn't it be oppressive wouldn't it be like living in a small village is is that is that the vibe we're going for is it like living in a big city i I don't know what quite what it references it sounds like a song by the enemy so i'm assuming it's about uh coventry You lived your life in Oglaroon and you got some nuts and you went to the tree. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel it's kind of agrarian. I don't know if agrarian is the right word, but certainly, you know, obviously very rural, very pastoral, but it can't be pastoral because it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not open enough. Um, so, okay. Recently we went on a, um, uh, it was a wellbeing walk. So it's a walk around, um, Essentially, what what it was was around the grounds of a um, of a manor house. So we were walking around, and at the bottom is the, like a little village, and it's really, really like picturesque, and like all the t- like at, we were at the back, and the kids were running around like eating ice creams and throwing rocks at each other, and all the teachers are standing in the back, and they were like, "Oh, wouldn't it be nice to live here?" Went, oh no, it would, wouldn't it? Like, oh, do you, no, you could sit there, and and like you could see your neighbours from there, and it's just like I would. I would kill myself or everyone else in the village after a week of living here because there's fucking nothing to do. There's literally nothing to do except for get into everyone else's business. Can you imagine how weird and incestuous? No wonder people kill each other in Midsummer because there's fuck all else to do. (laughs) The village, that is, yes. There is fuck all else to do. I completely understand where you're coming from i think honestly when i was thinking about this the first time that i ever heard the radio series and i was in my um in the computer room which is where i was when i wasn't outside kissing girls so i was always in the computer room um (laughs) listening to this on cassette tape and playing some sort of video game oh god um i in my mind's eye i think i imagined something very idealistic and very sweet and very lovely. And now what I'm realizing is, you know, thinking, oh, that sounds like it would be a lovely place to live. I realize what I'm doing now is saying that would be a lovely place to live, but with not with my personality. <laughs> and I think that's the point that it is a quite a lovely and idealistic location. We just mustn't bring ourselves to that location because yeah, we would kill all these nut loving creatures we'd snap their necks so quickly uh just like the vogons snap the backs of the crabs that they sit on uh or the the sorry the the, the jewel scuttling crabs and the deer and all these different things that you know um we, we would just destroy the world around us but 
if we were, you know, if we were a different person, if we were an Oglerunian, I think it would be quite lovely. Uh, and finally, to this guy. Old Thrashbarg is an enthusiastic storyteller, a bullshit artist from Lamuella, who Arthur learns to tolerate with a degree of detached irony. John, do you think the other Lamuellans felt the same, or were they enthralled to his pronouncements? The the idea of this kind of um, local local eccentric. Now, I don't know if everyone is responding to him in the same way that that Arthur is, but Arthur's doing the classic English thing of of um, the way that you deal with the, the local eccentric. And there's there's two ways you do it. One is you ignore it, and the other one is is that you kind of you. Uh, you build a narrative that they're that they're a character and uh, that they're kind of part of the local color and part of the local scene. So I'm I'm not sure if the Lamellians are doing that because I don't want to impose <laughs> British values on on them. But certainly, I think Arthur's kind of understanding it in that way. Um, so, um, uh, what? Who was your as a, as a kid growing up? Who was your local character that you would uh, that you would have seen who who could fit into this thrash bargain? Uh, model Dan. Oh my God! Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, you you might have to edit some of the names out for this uh, because, as far as I know, they're still alive. But there was a guy called Chris um, at my local pub, and um, he'd caught the sixty because I worked in the Lickies, and he'd caught the sixty-two a couple of times, but caught it in the fucking face. <laughs> That's that, that's a bus in the face for anyone who doesn't understand that the 62 is a bus and the Lickies is a place. Yeah, let's just translate this. Yeah, just thinking about our three international listeners, you know. So redacted name got hit by a bus. Um, so yeah, the Licky Hills was a, 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 a tourist destination. Uh, the 62 was the bus that went there. And uh, th- this customer was a guy that had accidentally got hit by the bus a couple of times, both times making it to the <laughs> pub afterwards. Getting hit by a bus once is is, is carelessness. Getting hit twice is, <laughs> is being an eccentric character. Um, uh, and making it to the pub before the staff went, I think you might have to go to the hospital. Uh, a local legend that he would expose daily was uh, there was there was a couple of uh, local myths that he would expose. One that um, he once fought and killed the police dog, <laughs> <laughs> and the second that he was good on the horses, not riding them, but betting on them. Now, um, obviously, when you uh, catch a bus in the head. Um, you um, you don't come away from that scot free, like cognitively or physically. Like he wasn't um an attractive man by any uh any chalk. Uh, but um, so he would stand at the bar and he would try and engage you in conversation at random intervals. Um, by shouting, "What am I like on the horses?" The correct answer was. Yeah, no, you're really good. Yeah, no, you, you're really good on the horses. You have an obvious competent skill on the horses, uh, people. And then, obviously, because you get bored of that, you kind of elaborate a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we used to say, uh, your competence on the horses astounds people daily, Chris. Um, you should be on television telling people about the horses. Um, and then on occasions, like, the more and more, like, interruptive that he got during what we was trying to serve actual people like um 
we would get more and more inventive. So once he interrupted me, like while I was serving a really big family, like with a really complicated round, what am I like on a horse's stand? I'd be like, Chris, you're a wizard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, uh, he, 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 uh, he was a local character. Um, that we tolerated. So this this could be what the Lamellians are, are, are doing to some extent. Is just kind of I need to I need to get all these nice people their meals, um, and I just just need to keep his plates spinning for long enough that I can perform the things to the best to the best of my ability. Um, um, but c- certainly, I think Arthur would be would have that programmed into him that ability to. Um, acknowledge and deal with but without actually talking about the inherent problems that the the, that someone's got it's like right how can we work around that okay can i still make the sandwiches yes good okay you want to do some pronouncements that's fine that's fine will i still get to make okay good that's great that's fine we'll we'll get on with that wouldn't it be nice to think that he's been in the universe long enough or he's hung around with both ford and zaphod long enough to get the beetlejuice in attitude of Hey man, your attitudes are your problem. That's kind of cool. Like, like you say what you need to say, guys. That is nice. That is nice. Well, and we have talked about the fact that you know Arthur does does learn and and, and grows in as much as we have also talked about the fact that he's not perhaps overly drawn um, to allow us to to kind of uh, associate with him with the events of the story. Yeah. In so long and thanks for all the fish, we discover that he has become somewhat of a slightly. Um, experienced traveler mm. and then by the time we get to mostly harmless we find that he's zip zapping across uh the galaxy and and selling his sperm so he <laughs> he he becomes quite the adept uh intergalactic uh traveler so yeah like he he's obviously not just grown as a person but acquired a, a bunch of new uh, of new skills if not any new wardrobe <laughs> It's a shame we don't see um, perhaps kind of more of that. There would almost be a, an interesting opportunity to cast Arthur as a kind of a, a, a Keith Floyd or a Wicker uh, type character and explore Englishness in that kind of sense a little bit more uh, overtly. Oh yes, as the as the as the pompous Englishman who goes abroad and says, "Oh, look at your strange customs! Aren't they strange? That's not how we do things over here." It'd be really nice if you could meet an earlier version of himself and and kind of point out all the things that like really annoy him about his Englishness. Like, oh, you're re- you're really uptight, aren't you? Like mm. and. and- really nail down those quirks that he kind of shook off. So John Bounce did send us a, a text just before the show to to remind us, to uh, entreat with us that we should actually speak to the fact that ultimately, for all that you can understand Thrashbark as being the the, the local colour, the, the kind of crazy guy, um, that he's ultimately right and perhaps that's part of his cover. Yes, I, I yeah, absolutely, because... He he does say that um that the perfectly normal beast um go from somewhere and end up in the domain of the king and that is exactly where um Ford with his knowledge is is able to coerce Arthur uh, to riding the you know a couple of uh, of beasts and it's it's also Thrashbarg who um dispenses some advice about how they should flick the towel uh, in order to uh, to distract the beasts uh, and and get them across so yeah like he he must have some knowledge tucked away somewhere but i think that is it it's the um it's the yoda it's the thing. broken clock thing isn't it it's the yoda thing i think well yoda 
I think he was. He just had an eccentric speaking pattern, and he looked like a muppet. But he was right about everything. Yeah, but the first, the first time you meet him, he's 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 hams it up. Yeah, okay. So there is there is a potential of doing that. Mm. Mm, do that, you will. Perfectly normal beast, you will ride. Yoda, Danny, something to say? Have you Yoda and that idea that um the teacher is awkward and eccentric goes back to like old kung fu flicks which also reference like old kung fu legends and uh, old chinese uh, mythology mm. where the person that you get to teach you is a difficult angry um man that speaks in riddles and it's up to you to do the work to kind of find it out mm-hmm. um there's there's a lot of reference to like old um chinese and um japanese legends in um in Star Wars, like uh, not least of all, the fact that they all fight with swords, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that like uh, Yoda is that re- is is a reference to the um, the old kung fu master that um, you have to seek out and and treat you very 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 badly um, up until you gain enlightenment. Yeah, it's Mister Miyagi as well, isn't it? In the Karate Kid, it's or uh, um, old Pai Mei in uh, Kill Bill Volume Two. Yeah, that th- that is the that is the most direct reference that we have in modern culture, but. That he's straight out of like old, like old um, kung fu movies, and uh, the kids, the kids today of it as well, because they have Sensei Wu in the Ninjago um, universe of Lego as well. I've never heard it pronounced Ninjago before. Uh, well, so here's the thing: oh. so Ninjago is the name of the city, Ninjago is the program. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 Knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to ask Dan: um, Have you seen any Star Wars films yet? I can't remember any of them from start to finish. Oh no, I'm wrong. Uh, I went to the cinema to see the the one that's about the exciting world of trade embargoes and saw a really racist Jew analogue. Well, I mean, you, you didn't just have the, the racist Jew character, you also had the racist uh, Rasta character, so yeah. So, and you had all the Orientalism of the uh, the Trade Federation people, and you, had the, and you had a Scottish man with a laser sword. Well, with that, uh, that that just about wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can follow Danny on Twitter at probably drunk. You can follow John at John Hickman, and you can follow me should you wish to do so at I am Stedman. Thank you very much for listening. We are planning a very special event in the next week or so for Towel Day, which is imminent. If you want to get on board and find out what we're doing, um, we will put whatever we do out on the feed as well. Um, it might be a difficult listen, um, but we'll either, <laughs> either a difficult listen or a difficult edit. One of the two will figure it out. But uh, if you want to find out what we're doing, when we're doing it, who is involved, then you can follow BTL Podcast on Twitter. And, and I would urge you to do so because we're going to hopefully do something live and we would love to have you along for that. So do follow us, btlpodcast.com, and we will let you know as soon as we know what we're doing. So until next week, share and enjoy. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiumproductions.com. But John, um, John Bounds sent us a message bef- before uh, the, the show because he knew it was coming up just to remind us that... He's dead now. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm misbehaving, and I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. If you if you take that out, I will I will be really fucking cross. <laughs> 